You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by Cavaliers beat reporter Chris Fedor. And admittedly, we are kind of in the doldrums of the offseason, if you're a Cavaliers fan. Not too much going on right now after the draft lottery. we still got a little while for that. That might get pushed back. The NBA draft I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, free agency isn't happening yet. I guess we're all, all eyes are on the NBA postseason. But even then, we're going to talk a little bit about the Cavaliers and uh, things that may be happening in their regard and how, you know, the playoffs can impact them and what they do. So, uh, Chris, first of all, how are you doing? What's going on? Brother, I'm doing great. Um, not much is going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're kind of in the same place that we were. Yeah. It's it's a little difficult to do a... Um, to do a, an NBA podcast when the team hasn't played in, uh, <laughs> what is it? What's the last day? March. So it's been like almost yeah. six months that the Cavaliers haven't played. And it'll probably be almost, you know, uh, what, like nine months that, where, where they won't play oh, a single game? Buddy, it, <laughs> it might be a full year. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a lot of conversation going on around the NBA right now about the possibility of starting next year. Um, Actually, in 2021, like that part of the calendar. Um, and I've even started to hear recently that March has been floated out there. Now, that would be crazy. And there are some big time complications that come with that, including the fact that the the Olympics have been moved to 2021 and guys want to play in the Olympics. So yep. the NBA would run into a problem with the playoffs running into the Olympics. And like I said, these guys want to play in the Olympics because Pop is going to be the coach for the first time. You know, for LeBron, it might be his last chance to play in the Olympics. Kevin Love, it might be his last chance to play in the Olympics. So a lot of these guys that were like part of Team USA for the resurgence of it are going to want to be there with Pop for these Olympics. And if the NBA starts in March... Like, that's really, really tight in terms of a time frame. Um, but they also, at the same time, owners want to, to give, like, a longer runway when it comes to coronavirus to figure out what is going on here, if um, a vaccine can be developed, and if there's any way to safely get fans into these arenas and not have to play in a bubble. So that's the trade-off right now, is if they push it back to January, February, March— there's more time to figure out if they can get fans in the stands, which is better from a financial perspective, 
which owners want. Um, but at the same time, like the players may not fully go for that because of what that means for one, the Olympics and then other seasons moving forward, you know? So it's, it's a lot of things that have to be figured out, but, but you're right. I mean, for the Cavs, their last game was early March. If they start in next March, oh my God, that's a full yeah. year. It's a full year without a basketball game for a team. I mean, that's just crazy. It's crazy to think about. It's, it just seems like uh, it's unfathomable, really. But yes, uh, and I don't even know like how how these guys are. You know, they've played basketball their whole lives. They're usually used to playing, maybe if not year round, most of the year. And now mm-hmm. they're just kind of stuck. So I can't imagine being a player in this climate. Well, and here's the other thing. Um, I said this to my subtexters recently, Hayden. So the Cavs are of the belief at this point that mid-September, they're going to be able to do some team-organized activity. Um, it's not going to be mandatory. All information that I have is that Matthew Dellavedova will not be there. Um, Andre Drummond will not be there. And Tristan Thompson will not be there because they are technically free agents. Um, but there are going to be Obviously, with strict protocols and certain things that these teams can and can't do, there are going to be opportunities in the middle of September for the Cavs to at least come together as a team and do some scrimmaging against themselves. So some five on five, maybe some five on oh, put in some sets, some install, that kind of stuff as a majority of the players that are going to be with them next year are scheduled to be there. So that helps. It's not the same as the bubble. It's not the same as competing in a in a in a highly competitive environment with playoffs um, on the line and, and everything else that the Washington Wizards got and the Phoenix Suns and those other teams. But but it appears in mid-September the Cavs are going to get something. And the feedback that they've gotten from their players, at least the core ones that matter moving forward, is that they all plan on being there, including Kevin Love, from what I'm told. Well, that's good news because, you know, I'm sure those guys are missing being with each other, missing being on the court. And they, they yeah. did miss a lot of time. They missed a lot of time, you know, that, as you mentioned, the Suns and the Wizards got. I mean, the Suns, hell, the, the Suns, I think, I don't know if you could have a better scenario outside of making oh, the postseason. I mean, those, no guys, chance. those guys went undefeated in the bubble. But like, yes. that's a lot of momentum going into next year. I mean, yes. they, they seemed to come together. I think the Cavaliers desperately would have loved that. I mean, LeBron said it himself numerous times when he was here, Hayden. You remember this. This was one of his go-to lines. There's no substitute for experience. Right. He yes. often used that when he was talking about Jetty Osman and why Jetty was so ready as a rookie because he had played overseas, he had played professionally, and LeBron said there was no substitute for experience. Same thing when you talk about developing players. Like, yeah, these guys can do individual stuff, right? Darius Garland can be at Cleveland Clinic Courts and he can do one-on-one stuff against Mike Garrity, the player development ace, or um, Andrew Olson, the shooting coach, or with Lindsey Gottlieb. And, and the coaches can watch, and they can run these guys through some dummy stuff. But when you're playing against Damian Lillard, and you're playing against the Los Angeles Clippers, like you're John Morant, and you're getting those opportunities, that's massive for your development. You get to see what works, what doesn't work. You get to see what you have to work on going into next year, you get to see like how your game is going to translate against that level of competition. That's invaluable. So 
Um, it's nice that the NBA sees that the Cavs and these other teams need something, but no matter what they do this offseason, they're going to be behind some of these other teams that got the opportunity in the bubble, including Phoenix, like you said. Right. I mean, for Phoenix, they got an opportunity to see what it was going to look like for them without Kelly Oubre Jr. before making a huge decision on Kelly Oubre Jr. You know what I mean? And now right. maybe they go a different direction from Oubre. Um, now they got to see uh, Mikel Bridges in a bigger role and Cameron Johnson in a bigger role. And, and not just in a scrimmage against his own teammates, against real NBA competition to say, oh, can we go forward with this kind of core? So the young core of Phoenix is going to be greatly benefited from what they got. Same with Washington, even though Washington got their teeth kicked in. Yeah. I mean, again, it's all, as you said, it's all about experience. And I think that 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 certainly is something that's probably going to hold the Cavs back. You know, that lack of experience that they didn't get to, um, you know, play together in the bubble. But um, regardless, you know, there, there are still things that we need to, you know, look out for and talk about as the offseason continues and will continue to continue for a while. Um, yeah. You recently wrote your Hey Chris piece, which you take questions on from subtexters and um, questions from everyone and, and talk about different things. We talked a lot about the NBA draft lottery last week. We talked about a lot of different players. Um, so I, I don't know if I want to talk too much about that because we will have a lot of time to talk about that and things will certainly change. Uh, but you did mention, you did have a couple questions that I was interested in um, that you answered on that, um, on the Hey Chris piece. And I want to uh, get into a couple of them. Uh, the first of which um, mentions the uh, mid-level exception. So the question is, can you envision the Cavs using the mid-level exception for agency? So what do you think? I mean, the Cavaliers obviously don't have a ton of money to use, um, you know, with with their contract situations. But what do you think about yeah. the MLE? Well, look, um, there's a chance here, Hayden, that the Cavs, and I'm not saying it's a certainty. There are a lot of things that have to be figured out. And I would not rule a return back when it comes to Matthew Delvadova or Tristan Thompson, maybe even both. So I wouldn't rule that out. But there is a possibility that both leave. Um, I think that would give the – and Ante Zizic is already gone. I yeah. think that would give the Cavs 12, 12 players under contract going into next season. Right. So they would have some roster spots to fill. And when Drummond opts into his contract, obviously all of the cap space that the Cavs um, were going to have is going to get swallowed up. They're okay with that. They knew that when they traded for Drummond, and they were fine with that. But that means their only avenue really to external improvement is through trades, free agency, the draft and free agency. They're not going to have a lot of money. But as you mentioned, they're going to have the mid-level exception. And everything that I'm told is Dan Gilbert, even in this climate, has given the Cavs the green light to add whatever it is they need within reason. Like it has to be a reasonable deal in free agency. It has to be a reasonable trade. But, but they're not going to be held back because of the uncertainty with the salary cap. And um, other teams might be in a situation that's different. Like they might have to make cost-cutting moves. Um, I've been told that that's not the plan for the Cavs. So all indications are, Hayden, that they plan to use the mid-level exception. And I, I don't think everybody that has the mid-level is going to use it this year. Um, I think teams are going to be more judicious when it comes to their spending. So a couple of months ago, I was under the impression that the mid-level market 
was going to be really, really competitive. And it was going to be hard for the Cavs to compete, especially against these playoff teams that are also going to have the mid-level exception. I'm starting to believe that some of these playoff teams may be more judicious and it may be a little bit easier for the Cavs, um, at least easier than it was going to be, to try and get one of these guys that falls into that salary cap situation. Joe Harris is going to be out of their price range. Um, You know, a lot of the bigger name guys, if you print out a top 50 free agent list, a lot of those guys are going to be out of their price range. But Derek Jones Jr. of the Miami Heat is somebody they they are interested in. Uh, Harry Giles of the Sacramento Kings, a former first round pick who really hasn't done much in Sacramento. Like he could be a dart throw type uh, target. Uh, Josh Jackson of the Memphis Grizzlies, former fourth overall pick. Again, like those are the kinds of players that the Cavs are going to target with the mid-level, not like these ready-made 30-year-old veteran guys who are going to help them win now. They're going to look for a guy who is going to help them win now while also like having promise moving forward, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And some of the names that you mentioned in this piece, uh, Josh Jackson, Derek Jones Jr., Harry got Giles. I mean, which one, you know, do you, do you think, I mean, Derek Jones Jr. has kind of been a name that's been thrown around a lot. I mean, would that make sense? And, and could they do that? Could they pull that off? Say that again. Could, could the Cavaliers pull off Derek Jones Jr.? So I think so. Um, again, it's, I, I think his market is going to be more competitive than say Josh Jackson or Harry Giles. Because Derrick Jones Jr. was a starter on playoff Miami, um, and he's going to get an opportunity here in this upcoming series, maybe to get more playing time, maybe to boost his value a little bit. Um, So he's in a different situation, I think, than Josh Jackson, Harry Giles, maybe like Michael Carter Williams is another name that I've heard. Um, Because, look, Derrick Jones Jr. played 59 games for the Heat, averaged 8.5 points. He's coming off a breakout year is essentially what I'm saying. And with that comes an allure. Um, But I think Miami's going to have a really hard time keeping him. So I think there's a strong likelihood that he's somewhere else. Is it Cleveland? I think they're going to take a run. I think they can be competitive. They can offer him a starting spot potentially and a lot of playing time. And that might, that might appeal to him. And, and here's the other thing. Hey, not a lot of contenders are going to have salary cap space for somebody like him. Right. And Miami's in a salary crunch here. Um, Miami one is going to be on the lookout this offseason for a bigger type trade. Maybe Chris Paul. I've heard him linked to Miami. But at the same time, the Heat really want to preserve salary cap space moving forward. Because they want to be in on Giannis when Giannis becomes a free agent. There's a lot of teams that want to be in on Giannis when he becomes a free agent. And even if it's not Giannis, there are other big-name guys that are going to be in free agency 2021. And that's going to be um, – I don't want to say everything's going to be figured out by that point when it comes to the salary cap. But things are going to be more clear next offseason. It's going to be a bit more normal than what it is this offseason. We so hope. because of the, we hope. yeah, we hope um, <laughs> as long as there's more information and it seems like we're getting more information every day. Yeah. So 
the belief is Miami may not be able, given their salary situation and what they're planning for in the future, Miami may not be able to afford Derek Jones Jr. And he could be one of those second contract guys that blossoms in a different location. And I do think the Cavs could be competitive because of the big hole that they have at small forward and the opportunity that they would give somebody like him. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because, as you said, kind of a guy that breaking out onto the scene could, you know, maybe not ready for that big deal yet, but just ready to get his playing time, get his, you know, get his minutes up and kind of showcase himself for the next big contract. And maybe, you know, maybe he wouldn't be long for the Cavs, but, um, you know, maybe it's something to where he could show show his stuff and then get, you know, get the Cavaliers maybe to where they want to go next year. And that brings me up to the to your next to the next question was kind of saying basically, you know, what do the Cavs need to get to the playoffs? What do they need to 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 get to that next level next season? I mean, I don't think the Cavaliers, whatever they do, uh, you know, outside of signing a miraculous superstar or something, are going to be in the running for the top four seeds. But what could they do to maybe sneak into the seven or eight seed? They need to focus on defense, Hayden. Yeah. First of all, I think what we've seen here in the bubble is that um, – a lot of the teams at the back end of the Eastern Conference are just better than the Cavs. Yeah. Like in every sense of the word, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we're talking about the Cavs trying to creep into the playoffs. That requires being better than Orlando. We saw Orlando. Orlando beat Milwaukee in the first game of the series. Now, they lost the series, but they have Vucevic. They have Aaron Gordon. They have Markel Fultz. They have Evan Fournier. Uh, top to bottom, they're more talented than the Cavs. On top of that, they've got chemistry. They've got experience. Um, they have a backcourt that can actually guard people. So, I mean, I know that the Cavs feel like the bottom of the Eastern Conference is open. The more and more I dig into it, man, it is a steep hill to get from the worst team in the Eastern Conference into that conversation. Yeah. The Nets are going to be better next year, you would think. Kyrie's going to be healthy, you would think. KD's going to be healthy, you would think. And they're going to have a new head coach. So they're not going anywhere. Right. Miami's not going anywhere. Toronto's not going anywhere. Boston's great. Absolutely great. So, like, I mean, the only team that you look at that you would say is vulnerable is Indiana, if if they trade Sabonis, if they trade Oladipo, if they've already made a coaching change, they could be making other significant changes coming this offseason. So while I had, yes, that's absolutely right. Um, they have some big decisions to make when it comes to their roster. Yes. So I do. guess I guess you look at two or three teams that are, quote unquote, vulnerable in the Eastern Conference to fall out of the playoff mix. Even yeah. that? Yeah, like maybe. E- even that, though, Hayden. Yeah. Like, Washington, you would think, is going to be... First of all, Washington was better than the Cavs this past year. You think they're going to be better than them again because they're supposedly going to get John Wall back. Uh, their young guys are going to improve, you would think. So, I don't know. I mean, I respect that the Cavs believe that they can be a playoff team. And... They're happy with some of the pieces that they have, and, and they are going to have Andre Drummond. And they went four and four with Andre Drummond and five and six with JB. So um, coaching is going to make them better. Internal improvements going to make them better. 
but it's just really, really difficult for me to see them making that kind of leap when I look at their roster and I see a backcourt of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and understand that the Cavs with those two guys are going to have significant limitations on the defensive end. There was one team in the NBA, Hayden, that finished in the bottom third of defensive rating and made it to the postseason. It was Portland. Yeah. Ironically, the team that the Cavs keep talking about when it comes to their backcourt. But Portland had a great offense. They had an abundance of injuries, and they snuck into the playoffs because of this weird new setup that the NBA implemented for one year. So those are the things that the Cavs are going to have to overcome. And if they don't focus on getting better individual defenders, there's no chance that they're going to make up as much ground as, as they would want in the Eastern Conference. It all starts on the defensive end for this group. Right. And I think the thing to think about, too, with the Cavs is like, a lot of it's going to be internal. I mean, you know, they're not they're not going to have the the capabilities to bring in a lot of external help, as we've mentioned a lot. I mean, a lot of it's going to be on the development of Darius, on the development of Colin, on the draft pick they come in with. Um, you know, if they do add a player in via, you know, the exception or something like that. But most yeah. of it, if not all of it, is going to be internal. Just yeah, they're not going to have a ton of external help. Right. And and I think that's been the conversation throughout the entire off season. Um, I think that's been the reality of the situation that they're in. I think it's been the reality since they traded for Andre Drummond. The minute that they did that, like their flexibility financially went out the window. Now, can they do other things? Sure. I mean, they theoretically, they could trade Andre Drummond. Uh, Theoretically, they could trade Kevin Love. Theoretically, they could sign and trade Tristan Thompson. Um, But even in those cases, the kind of help that they would get back is, is not it's not a difference maker in terms of shifting the, the focus or the view of the Cavs and their chances, I would say, going into next season. Um, so the question is, like, how much? So obviously they're going to improve. Yeah. But the question is, how much internal improvement can one team do in one offseason that is such a weird off season. Right. And a long off season, as you mentioned. A long off season too. You're right. Yeah. I mean, obviously not being a disaster from a coaching standpoint is going to help. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, we saw that when they made the shift from John Beeline to JB Bickerstaff, it yeah. was immediately noticeable. Um, but how many wins is that worth? I don't know. They won 19 games. Is that going to be worth? Is the combination of JB Bickerstaff there Andre Drummond um, being here for a full season and the internal improvement of the young guys enough to get like 14 to 15 more wins. Man, that's asking a lot. Yes, but that's is. what it would take to get into the postseason, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what it would take. And you're, I don't know. Again, you're right. I don't know if that's, it, that is worth another 15 wins. But you could also look at it that, you know, maybe Garland, you know, coming back completely healthy would help. Colin another year under his belt. We'll see. I mean, again, the rook, it, it, the whoever they get bring in as the rookie. I mean, that. I mean, we've seen the NBA, you know, players come out really strong in their rookie seasons, and maybe it wasn't Colin, and maybe it wasn't Darius, but you know, maybe if they get if they find the superstar of this draft at number five, I mean, that could be another way. 
but it doesn't. That's definitely not likely by any stretch at all. Right. So that's exactly right. We'll we'll have to see what in in that regard. Um, I wanted to ask because we keep, the name keeps coming up, and you know we don't really know anything to be honest. But um, as you know, as the postseason continues, any update on Tristan Thompson? Any update on the contract talks? Up, any update on free agency? Any update on whether he'd be back? This is complicated. Yeah. It always is, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Because everybody wants a firm answer. Right. But there is so much gray involved with this entire offseason, including free agency. Right. So here's what I know. There is mutual interest between the Cavs and Tristan Thompson of coming back to Cleveland. Um, whether that happens is a completely different scenario. Rich Paul is going to be involved. What the Cavs do in the NBA draft is going to play a factor. Um, what the Cavs do in free agency is going to play a factor. I mean, hypothetically, if they were to sign somebody like Harry Giles, if that's like the only type, and I just use him as an example because like that's the kind of guy that fits, one, the Cavs' timeline, and two, their trajectory. So if they were to sign him in free agency, I mean, the chances, I wouldn't say that they would be eliminated, but I think they would drop by a certain percentage. Um, this, is, this is the problem. Contenders don't have more than the mid-level exception. So if Tristan Thompson is looking for some kind of payday higher than the mid-level exception, um, something a little bit closer to what he had made over the last couple of years with the Cavs, then he would have to go to a crappy team. Yep. And I don't think that would be appealing to him. Not in this stage of his career, not when he's already won a championship, not when he was part of the Cavs team that went to four straight finals after already going through the rebuild the way that he did early in his career, going rebuild champion, rebuild longer rebuild. I don't think that appeals to him. So unless he believes like the New York Knicks can turn it around quickly and they would be willing to offer him more than the mid-level because they're going to have salary room. Other than that, like he's staring at options from the Charlotte Hornets who are supposed to have money, the Detroit Pistons who are going to have money. Memphis is going to have money, but they have a glut of bigs. Yeah. Um, Atlanta's going to have money, but they just traded for Clint Capella. So finding the the team that has cap space to sign Tristan Thompson is difficult. So we start there. Um, The second thing is the Cavs have his bird rights. So if he wants more than the mid-level exception, then re-signing in Cleveland makes a lot of sense. He can continue to climb the all-time lists. He has a familiarity with the coaching staff and his teammates, and he could get a little bit more than the mid-level and the Cavs can go over the cap to re-sign him because they have his bird rights. Um, Or the Cavs could do a sign-in trade. They could say, look, we're going to give you more than the mid-level exception, and we're going to flip you to a contender because a contender can't give you that kind of money. Um, There's just a lot of things in play here. And many, many agents that I continue to talk to uh, continue to say the same thing, Hayden. They say, I'm pushing my client, my free agent client, to sign a one-year deal this offseason and then get back in free agency in 2021 
when things are going to be a bit more clear, or the hope is things are going to be a bit more clear. So the other scenario that I think is in play with Tristan is him coming back on a one-year deal and trying to get back into free agency next year. I think the Cavs would be open to that. I think Tristan Thompson would be open to that. Yeah, I think that makes sense from all, you know, both sides. So the Cavaliers can kind of evaluate over the, like, you know, so that the, the year after that, Andre Drummond will be a free agent. Tristan Thompson right. will be a free agent. Um, you know, they'll have a lot more in the way of options and, and what they want to do. Yes. So that would make sense, I think, for both sides. I think that I think that's what the Cavaliers are probably looking at, too. I think the two things that make the most sense for both sides, the two scenarios are one, either Tristan signs a one year deal and just comes back, continues to climb the all time lists, continues to cement his legacy as one of the great Cavs and makes a stronger case for his jersey to be up in the rafters, which is meaningful to him. Uh, The other one is a sign in trade. He gets more money, uh, more money than the mid-level anyway from the Cavs. The Cavs get an asset back in return rather than having him walk for nothing. And Tristan finds his way to a contending team because there's no way that he can get to a contending team and make more than the mid-level unless he does a sign and trade with the Cavs. So those to me are the two that make the most sense for both sides. Um, That doesn't mean that it's going to go that way, but I could see both sides pushing for either one of those outcomes. And the thing is that we will not probably have any idea uh, of what's going to happen until maybe, you know, October, maybe even later. November, yeah. December. See, that's unclear, too. Right. This I mean, it's just all it's just, you know, I just I don't feel I mean, obviously, you know, I feel for everybody involved in this school pandemic. But like Cavs fans, it's just like it's just like a bunch of waiting and seeing and like right. there's no answers and there's no like finite. The only thing that's been finite is the draft lottery. And I think that's, you know, even then it just seems to be so far away. And, you know, the prospects are kind of not as good this year. It's just like it's, yeah. it's just a time of a lot of like nothingness. And here's another thing, too, Hayden. There's more conversation now in the NBA about pushing the draft back, yep. pushing free agency back. And so a lot of these teams are trying to operate as if business is normal this offseason. Let's conduct interviews. Um, if we can, let's try and do some virtual workout type videos with, with some of our own guys. Um, let's let's try and figure out what the salary cap is going to be so that we can game plan for the offseason. Like all these different things, they're trying to operate that way so that they're prepared. But <laughs> it's very difficult to operate that way when you don't have finite dates in mind. Right, exactly. It's it's just that it really is like a free for all. Yes, for sure. Which is, um, you know, but what, but also like, what are we supposed to do? What is what is anybody supposed to do? You know, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> you just you, you can't be mad about it. If you're a team like the Cavs, you can't be mad about it because sometimes there just aren't answers for, for right. what's ahead. Like the NBA right. has to figure out if this season is going to finish in the bubble, if they're going to continue to have the same kind of success with the bubble moving forward. All indications are the season's going to finish. They're going to crown a champion, right? But but who knows if something else interrupts, right? Maybe there's something else that happens around the country that's unforeseen, or maybe the players feel like the owners don't hold up their end of, of, of their word when it comes to the social justice issues. 
Uh, could there be another delay? You know what I mean? Like there are just so many moving parts when it comes to the end of this regular season before you can really dig into uh, the specifics of next season. Right. And I think I do want to talk about the not on this podcast because we're already pretty far in, but maybe the yeah. next one we can discuss some of the you know the lengths that the NBA is taking and then things that are happening there with the social justice because yep. I think that's important. Um, but you know I, I I yeah I want to get into that next time. But um, in terms of the bubble and how it's working, do you I mean do you think that they could house all every NBA team in that bubble? Hmm. Well, I'm inclined to say yes, simply because they have such strict protocols in place. And if guys adhere to those um, and they continue to act the same way that the other teams in the Disney bubble have been acting, then yes. But there's another part of me that says no, because the more people you introduce, uh, the more chances of a spread you're going to have. Right. So I think it's a dangerous proposition, but there's there's only one way to find out, right? It's to yeah, actually do, to it do it and see. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that sometimes your answer has to come in trial and error situations. But, I mean, I think that's the reality of what we're dealing with here. I, I understand why the NBA went with 22. Um, they did a lot of math on it. Um, they wanted to limit the number of people that were inside the bubble. And, and kudos to them for being able to pull it off to this point. Um, I just, I just think it's unfortunate that the other eight teams were left behind in, in so many ways. Oh, of course, of course, you know, we've been dealing with this without any Cavs basketball since March and it's, mm-hmm. you know, we've gone through a ton of different situations and ton of different, you know, how things are going to go. And it's just, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It is. Yeah. Um, but it's also, it's good though, that they're, I think they're doing a nice job with the, with the bubble and. You know, playoffs have been fun to watch. I'm sure you've been watching a lot. Uh-huh. And yeah. I think that I think the fact that the bubble has been so successful in Disney has the NBA at least considering the fact of okay, if if, if there's no scenario in place where the league feels like they can safely allow fans into arenas next season, I think the success of the bubble has them saying, well, 2020, 2021 can be played in multiple bubbles, an Eastern Conference bubble and a Western Conference bubble. And yep. we can at least go through with a season. And, and it's not ideal. Um, there are going to be teams that are upset about it. But at least playing basketball remains a possibility moving forward because of the success that we've seen with Disney. And, and I, think, I think that's a good place for the NBA to be in, to have that confidence. Right. It's, it's, because, I mean, like, the NFL is is successful to this point, and J.C. Treader, you know, he posted something on Twitter saying, like, we have to continue to be diligent, we have to continue to be respectful, we have to continue to act in the same manner that we've been acting here in training camp. But the truth is the NBA um, knows answers that the NFL does not know answers to at this point. You know what I mean? When it comes yeah. to the season, there are still questions when it comes to the NFL. Uh, there's still some questions when it comes to Major League Baseball. Um, yeah. The NBA has more answers because they've gone through it and they've had success. The NFL has had success in training camp, but not when you start mixing travel in and teams getting together with other teams and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens. I think they're probably, I mean, the NFL is probably going to keep an eye on, weirdly enough, probably going to keep an eye on high school sports and all the colleges that play. I mean, I mm-hmm. assume, I would assume that to be the case. They're, you know, For sure. because they're, they're, at, they're the only football that's going on right now. So without a doubt, it'll be interesting. So what do you, so before we end the podcast, what have you made of the uh, the postseason thus far? We can talk a little national NBA. Oh. Um, I mean, obviously the games have been entertaining, but um, you know we got a game, a big game six tonight. Houston's up on the Thunder, and yep. the, the Heat and the Bucks are starting tonight as well. Um, the Lakers, <laughs> it was it was uh, it was pretty easy pickings after that first game. And uh, uh, what did I tell you? Yes, you did. You said exactly that. What did I tell you was going to happen in that series between the Lakers and Blazers? That's exactly what happened. Thank you very much. That's that's me taking a victory lap. You will take a you will take a <laughs> enjoy your victory lap. You know, it's not going to be a long one, but you can take it. it. It's it's almost as if the sweat equity of covering LeBron James paid dividends when it came to analyzing yeah. that series. Yeah. And I and what I mean, I didn't think there was any doubt either. LeBron was going to take that series easily. And and what did he do in game one? Did you see what uh, he did in game one? Yeah, feel-out game, of course. He did exactly what he always did. in Not just feel-out game, but he deferred to the guys who have not been in that environment before, or at least yeah. in, as far as he has been before. Right. right? Yes. In, in many ways, he let them fail on his own, saying, look, if you continue to play like this, it's not going to work. Now, it was very similar to what he did with the Cavs. Um it's a little bit different because he did it in the playoffs with these particular guys. But I knew that he was going to approach it that way because he has to see who can be in that moment, who can thrive in that moment, and who he can count on moving forward. Yep. Absolutely. He knew he was going to be able to count on Anthony Davis. Duh. Danny yeah. Green, same thing. But he wanted to see about Kentavious Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma and some of these other guys. And, um, and what happened after that? He realized race, what he had to do. He had to yep. race his level. So, yep. All right. I got to do a little bit more with these guys. Average a triple-double in that in, in that series. Just playoff LeBron kicking in. Oh, he's yeah, he's unreal. Um, okay, so we got two Western Conference series yep. that are done, two Western Conference series that are getting close. And uh, so I'll give, you the, I'll give you the prediction time. So Jazz Nuggets, game seven tomorrow at 830. What do you got? How good has Jamal Murray been? Been amazing. Same with Donovan Mitchell, obviously. But Jamal Murray, my goodness. Um, By the way, like, hmm, kind of under the radar here, the Cavs might find themselves in a similar Jamal Murray situation. And what I mean by you did want to talk about that. Yep. Yeah. So um, Jamal Murray got a max contract extension from Denver. At a time when his numbers didn't point to, let's give this player the max extension. But it was somebody that they had invested in. Top 10 pick. They had groomed him to be the point guard of the future and the running mate of Jokic. Um, And they looked towards the future. It wasn't about what he had accomplished to that point that screamed max player. It was, this is what we think he can be moving forward for us, a cornerstone of this franchise. So we're going to give him the max. A lot of people scoffed at it. And they said, like, this guy does not deserve that kind of contract. Uh, You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, 
here is Jamal Murray living up to that contract. So the Cavs are going to find themselves in a similar situation to Colin Sexton. His trajectory in the first two years is very similar to Jamal Murray's. Um, And this doesn't mean that Colin's going to become Jamal and he's going to have these kinds of playoff performances and stuff like that. But when you're an organization and you're building, you have to do projecting. Uh, It can't always be about what the guy has already accomplished. There has to be some projecting in terms of what he can be moving forward. And Colin is going to be up for a contract extension next season. And his number is going to be eye-popping if he continues on this trajectory. There aren't a lot of young players putting up the numbers that Colin is putting up. And his numbers at this point in his career are better than Jamal Murray's were at the point in his career when he got the max extension. So if the Cavs feel like Colin can be a pillar of this rebuild, both on and off the court, he is going to get north of $100 million. And people have to mentally prepare themselves for that. Yes, they do. Because you an eye-popping number certainly would be a $100 million for Colin Sexton. Yes. But look, the Cavs have to figure out, like, can he be that kind of guy? If the Cavs look at him and say, like, he's better suited to be a six-man off the bench, that's how we view him moving forward, then the conversation gets a little bit different. Then the Cavs don't try and give him the contract extension, and maybe they try and flip him in a trade for somebody or multiple pieces that they feel more comfortable with going forward. Um, So it's going to be a very, very interesting thing that the Cavs have to figure out, because that particular investment... um, is probably the like it's it's really easy to say we're going to give Kyrie Irving the max like the Cavs did in 2014. You know what I mean? It's really easy to say we're going to sign LeBron James. The toughest decisions are these fringe type decisions, and that will that will very much determine where the Cavs go in the future. If they sign Colin to a contract north of 100 million, and he doesn't become what Jamal Murray has become, then they're screwed. They're completely screwed. Yeah, I mean that's you. You got to make a right projection here. I mean it's a big year for Colin too. Like he's going to be probably motivated because you know, he knows what could be coming. Yep. I mean I would. He's be always surprised. motivated, regardless. Oh, yeah. Right. That's just who he is. Right. But yeah, I mean they got to make it. You're right. It's a that's it, and they got to make a decision. Like it's kind of you have to be not biased about it because yes, Colin's your guy. Yes, like Correct. you drafted him, you developed him. You also got to look at it from like the, the vantage point of like another team or something. Yep. Because if you look at it through a biased lens and then it doesn't turn out the way you want, then you just kind of put yourself way back. Yeah. I mean, obviously these are humans making these decisions. They're not robots. Right. But if you start making emotional decisions as an organization, those are the ones that usually end up blowing up in your face. Right. All right, so who you got in this? Uh, who do you got in the Jazz um, uh, Nuggets series? I'll still go with the Jazz. I think they have more counters at this point in time. Um, but boy, Donovan Mitchell is going to need a lot more help. Yeah, I thought from the very beginning that not having Bogdanovich was going to be a huge deal for the Jazz. It took five or six games for that to show itself. Um, but I'll still go with the Jazz. I think they've got more counters. And it's just so, like, it has taken Jamal Murray averaging nearly 50 points per game 
over the last three for them to push this series. That's a right. lot to ask in a game seven. Absolutely. Okay, and what about the other series, Oklahoma City and uh, Houston? I think Houston's just better. Yeah. Top to bottom, I think they're just better. Um, they're fluky because, as everybody always says, live by the three, die by the three. And just as they can make 18 in a game, they can make two or three. And when that's basically their entire offense, um, that can be that can lead to fluky results. But but I think top to bottom, uh, Houston's better than Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma City having to rely on Shea Gilgis Alexander. I like SGA. I think he's one of the better young players in the NBA. But having to rely on him as much as they are in this series, that's a lot to ask of a young player in, in this environment. Absolutely. All right, so that would leave the Clippers, Lakers, Rockets, and Jazz in the West. And then in the East, you got the Celtics, you got the Milwaukee Bucks, you got the Heat, and you got the Toronto Raptors. So who give me your, give me your uh, Raptors. And I, I'll agree with you on both of those in the Jazz and the Rockets. Um, so give me your, your give me your Jazz Raptors and or not Jazz Raptors, sorry. Give me your uh, Celtics Raptors and Bucks Heat predictions. I like the Celtics, man. So Yeah. I might be biased because I'm looking at a game already in this series and and before this I said don't sleep on the Raptors, but in the first game against Boston, and Boston's really really tricky to play against, especially because the length that they have, the athleticism that they have, the switchable bodies that they have, the versatility that they have offensively and defensively. In, in the first game, Toronto had a 73 offensive rating in half-court situations. Mm. Think about that. Yeah. That is putrid. So, obviously Siakam can play better and Van Vliet can play better and Lowry can play better. It's just a tough matchup playing against Boston for somebody like Toronto. Um, I just I just trust Boston's defense and half-court offense more than Toronto's because I just think too much is put on the plate of Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. And in a seven-game series against the switchable, uh, really talented and like-sized Boston Celtics, I think that's just a tough matchup. And then they don't the have Kawhi this year. I mean, yeah. that's the other thing. Right. That, that's <laughs> the elephant in the room. Everybody knows about it, but uh, that can't be overlooked in a series against a team the caliber of the Boston Celtics. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Bucks Heat. I like the Bucks. I'll still go yeah. with the Bucks. Although the Heat are just. Not a great matchup for Milwaukee because of Bam and what Bam can do defensively against Giannis. Um, and the Heat just plays so hard. I think they're that coached well. Go, yeah, yeah. I think that series goes seven. I think it is going to go deep. Either I mean, I think seven. you saw, even in glimpses against the Magic, having, having Chris Middleton as the second option – yeah. That's a dangerous proposition for a team like Milwaukee trying to make a championship run. Right. In the regular season, sure, all-star player. Playoffs are a different kind of animal. You get different kind of attention from defense. Um, things are called differently in the postseason. Man, like Middleton is the second option for Milwaukee. I think that lingers when you're talking about trying to get to the NBA Finals and win a championship. Um, because of that, I, I think... 
it, it's going to be a tougher series for Milwaukee. But I'll side with Giannis. I think he has the ability to shift a series more than any other player in the Eastern Conference at this point. That's that's remaining anyway. All right, so that would mean a Bucks and Celtics Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, be very all green, all green, all green. I love it. All right, Chris, if you got anything else to uh, anything else that you want to get into, or do we want to save this uh, and cap it for next time? I think we can save the rest and cap this one so all that right. we're ready to go. Next that time. sounds good. Yeah, I think next time we can have a pretty good, important conversation about, you know, the uh, the way in which things were handled in the NBA with the, you know, um, the protest and the mm-hmm. uh, boycott and all that. So um, we'll have a good conversation about that as we go forward. Um, in the meantime, definitely subscri- subscribe to Subtext. Chris will be texting you daily, giving you the l- latest on the Cleveland Cavaliers, what he's hearing around the league, what he's hearing about all the different things that go into the Cavaliers, be it Tristan Thompson's deal or, uh, you know, impending rookies or anything like that with the draft coming up, text him at subtext 399 a month, 14 day free trial. You can see the link on the post where you will find the Cleveland dot or where you will find us on cleveland.com slash Cavs. So look at the post that is there and you can sign up, like I said, 14 day free trial, 399, all of the insight and analysis you need on the Cleveland Cavaliers from Chris Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We hope you have a great week, and we will talk to you next week on the Wine and Gold Talks podcast. Take care.